It's Wednesday night, and I'm continuing a study that we started last week. There's, I've written a, an algebraic axiom on the board. It's very simple. It's like falling off of a log. You have to be so dumb that or you have to be three or four years old not to be able to understand this. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. That is an axiom I use constantly in the Bible. I just don't tell you it's algebra. If I told you it's algebra, all of a sudden this blank stare comes on some people's face. I failed algebra. Well, that's because you had a terrible teacher. That's why. Because algebra should be taught in the fourth grade or the third grade because it's that simple. In the Bible, things that are equal to the same thing, they are equal to each other. But here's what you have to learn. The things that are equal, you have to learn that the Old Testament, Old Testament equals the New Testament. If you want to study the New Testament, study the Old and find out about it. In the New Testament, this is the very image The very image. Old Testament is the shadow. And you can see that. The Bible says that in Hebrews 10 and 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. The law was a shadow. The good things are the New Testament. In the Old Testament you had Israel. equals the New Testament spiritual Israel which is the church and I'll bring that out as we go along here which equals the church <laughs> equals is the same thing as is 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 the form of the verb to be you got the being verbs when the Bible says, people say, we don't understand what the uh, 144,000 is. The Bible says, the 144,000 is good grief. It, it, it's really amazing how people miss all this, these being verbs. When you get back over there to... You go back to Revelation 14. I'm not going to go into the 144,000. But it says, it amazes me that the Bible says, these are, are is a form of is. They're both being verbs. Be, is, am, are, was, were, being, been, have, has, had. Do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. They're all a form of the verb to be. They're a form of the being verb. It's what they are. Is or are are basically, are is merely plural for is. These are, good grief, these are, they which were defiled with, that were not defiled with women. That's a virgin. For they are virgins 
These are they which follow the Lamb. This is verse 4 of chapter 14 of Revelation. These are they which follow. We have gone through the word follow so many times. Akalatheo. I'll get it right in a minute. When Jesus said, if any man will come after you, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. Follow Alotheo. Alotheo. That means to be in the same way with. There's two ways. A narrow way. A narrow way and a broad way. Broadway. So if you're in the way with Christ, you're in the narrow way, the Libo, L I B O. And we get the word thelipsis from that. That's the noun that's the noun form. Thelibo is a Greek it's the verb form of thelipsis, T H L I P S I S. And thelipsis is the word tribulation every time you find it. So the narrow way is filled with tribulation. It's filled with tribulation. So when he says here, I, I misspelled that, Akulatheo, excuse me, A-K-O-U-L-A-T-H-E-O. I didn't spell that right. I don't know why I went blank on that. Akalatheo means to be in the same way with. It's the narrow way as opposed to the broad way that leads to destruction. Well, they that follow the Lamb are in the narrow way. That's what the 144,000 is. It's a figurative term for 12 times 12, which is 144. 12 is the number of the total church. The Lamb whatsoever goes. These were redeemed who are the redeemed agarazzo that is you and I these were redeemed from among men being the first fruits gosh being is a form of the verb to be are is a form of the verb to be it talks about those that exist these are the first fruits of his own will beget he us that we would be a kind of first fruits that's the church People just ignore the R's and the B and the M's and the is's in the Bible. It's it's crazy. They'll say, we don't know who the two olive trees are. And if you back up to chapter 11 of Revelation, chapter 11, it'll talk about the two olive trees the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And it tells you that these are the two witnesses. It takes two witnesses to verify anything in Israel. You find that in Numbers 35 and in Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19. It takes two witnesses, the two olive trees. Well, if you go back to Zechariah, the fourth chapter, it says the two olive trees are the two that represent God in the earth, they are the two anointed ones. 
the two anointed ones are the priest and the king in the Old Testament. Those are the two that were anointed, priest and king. The king had to come out of the tribe of Judah. That was David's tribe. And the priest came out of Levi. And God hath made us priests and kings. What does the priest do? He offers acceptable sacrifice. We're told to give our bodies a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God. And what does a king do? He declares righteous judgment. Judge not according to the outward appearance, John seven twenty four, but judge righteous judgment. Let's get back to the message. I just pitched those two in to show you. It says these are, they are, are is a being verb. It tells you who they are. How preachers cannot figure that out, I don't know. Now, I'm talking about the shadow, skia. Skia is the shadow. That's the word shadow. And the very image is the New Testament. The shadow, how can the very image come after the shadow? Because these shadows were all in eternity in the mind of God. And he's doing everything known unto God, all his works from the beginning. So this is all the shadow in the Old Testament. The way you understand the New Testament, you have to look at the shadow. Old Testament. Let me show you some things. Let me erase this. I don't understand people say, we can't figure out what this is. Uh, let's ignore the R's and the is's and the was and the were's. Because that's what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me the way preachers look at the Bible. The We have to look at these things equal to the same thing or equal to each other. Go over here to John 6. This takes us back to the Old Testament. John 6. Things that are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Well, if they're equal to each other... In algebra, there's a law that says if equals are substituted for equal. If I said X is equal to Y, evidentially they're the same value in some case. So you can substitute X for Y in any given situation if you can prove that X equals to Y. Let me show you some things that equal each other. It's like... This is not hard. I think they need to teach this in the fourth grade. Because if you can... I said it last week. Algebra is like a seesaw. It's a seesaw. This is all basically algebra right there. You got a little kid sits on this end of the seesaw. He weighs 100 pounds. In algebra, everything has to balance. The equation has to balance... And he's 100 pounds, and you got a 60-pound kid sitting down here. What's going to happen? The seesaw is going to go like that. It doesn't balance. What do you have to put up here, put in his lap to make that balance? If this weighs 100 pounds, and this kid here weighs 60 pounds, what do you have to put in his lap? you got to put 40 pounds. That's called X. X equals 40 pounds. So you put it right there in his lap. And it balances. That's 
That's basically algebra. Let me show you something in the Bible the same way. If you learn to use this in the Bible, it solves a lot of problems. Lots of problems. I'm going to repeat some of the things I've repeated here in the past, but go here to John the 6th chapter. And here's a whole lot of algebra right here in John the 6th chapter. John 6. Algebra works in the Bible. It works. You, <clears throat> The reason teachers fail so many kids, they're terrible at teaching. Teachers are not always teachers just because they know the subject. you got to keep real simple. Algebra is like that. It's very simple. Let's establish with some equals, okay? Right here in... In verse 48, chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus equals bread, right? Isn't that, didn't he, want it, didn't he say, I am, am as a form of the verb to be. I exist as the bread of life. Now, let's keep reading here. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. He's equating himself being the bread with the manna over here. Over in the 16th chapter of Exodus, Exodus 16, there's about a million, uh, one million and a half to two million people that are walking out of Egypt into the desert. They're walking out into the desert. I've got some information on this. I believe it's right here. I hope it is. Uh, I should have found it before church. But it's about how many how many people that went out into the desert. I think that's it. Yeah. They go out in the desert. Some said two to three million people walk into the desert. No food, no water. What do you think it takes to water two million people to three million? It takes a river. When Moses would strike the rock or speak to the rock, it wasn't a stream coming out because you're about two to three million people in the desert. What does it take to feed and to give them water daily? Let me read this to you. Moses and the people of Israel were in the desert. But what was he going to do with them? They had to be fed. And feeding two to three million people requires a lot of food. According to the quartermaster general in the army, it is reported that Moses would have to have 1,500 tons of food every day. Every day. Do you know that to bring that much food each day, two freight trains, each a mile long, would be required? Either that or God would have to put manna over a 1,000 square miles. Besides, you must remember, they were out in the desert and they would have to have firewood to use cooking the food. This would take 4,000 tons of wood 
and a few more freight trains, each a mile long, just for one day, and you think they were 40 years in transit in the wilderness. Oh, yes, they would have to have water. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, it would take 11 million gallons each day and a freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long just to bring water. And then another thing. They had to get across the Red Sea in one night. If they went on a narrow path, a double file, the line would be 800 miles long and would require 35 days and nights to get through. That's why it's not like you see in that old movie, The Ten Commandments, God opens up the water and then there's these walls of water that are as high as a skyscraper. Pharaoh's not going to go down in there like that. God used a wind to open that up and to dry up the ground. And it was probably uh, miles to the top to on each side of the path through. And God dried it up like they were on dry ground. So they didn't see it. And it's miles across there. So God waited till Pharaoh got down in there into the bottom of the Red Sea. God pulled the chariot wheels off according to the 14th chapter of Exodus. And then them, those tidal waves of water come rushing towards Pharaoh. And they oh my God, what have we done? So there had to be a space in the Red Sea three miles wide so they could walk 5,000 abreast to get over in one night. But then another problem. Each time they camped at the end of the day, a campground two-thirds the size of the state of Rhode Island Island, was required, or a total of 750 square miles. Think of it. This much space just for nightly camping. Do you think Moses figured all this out before he left Egypt? I think not. You see, Moses believed in God. God took care of all these things for him. Now, do you think God has any problem taking care of all your needs? Oh, when we worry, we don't, do we? Now, all right. Now, he said, I am the bread of life, and I am that manna. Look here, let's keep reading. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Now, the, when they came out and looked at the man on the ground, they all the people said, what is it? And Moses said, that's what we're going to call it. What is it? The word is mon, M-A-W-N. Mon or manna. Anytime Mary's cooking, I say, what are you cooking? She says, manna. She always tells me, what is it? (laughs) I am the living bread. Jesus equals the bread, doesn't he? And then he says, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. For the bread that I will give is my flesh. So the bread equals the flesh, doesn't it? Bread equals the flesh. 
we're getting to we're getting to things equal to the same thing, are we? Jesus is the bread, the bread is the flesh, and he was the manna that come down from heaven. All these things are equal to each other, aren't they? Oh, we're going to get to some more of this. Which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among them, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It was against Jewish law to eat human flesh. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have any life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And the apostles, they say, How can he give us his flesh and his blood to drink? So he tells you, For my flesh is, the flesh equals meat indeed. All you do is got to define the word indeed to find out what eat flesh means. See, to eat flesh and drink blood was an ancient idiom of the Jews. It meant to partake in a slaughter. You've got that eat flesh and drink blood over in Ezekiel, the 39th chapter, which is prophecy about the end of time where God is going to destroy Gog and Magog And there's going to be so many dead people out there. He's going to call the fowls of the air. There won't be enough funeral homes to take care of them. He's going to call the fowls of the air. Come to the table that I have prepared for you and eat flesh and drink blood. You find that same thing in Revelation, the 19th chapter, where he's going to call the fowls of the air. There's going to be millions of people dead upon the earth, and he's going to say, come and eat flesh and drink blood. So, eat flesh and drink blood to us is indeed. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. To eat flesh and drink blood, all we got to do is define the word indeed. Jesus is the bread, the bread is the flesh, the flesh is indeed. Indeed is the word aletheis, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. So this, Jesus equals the bread, equals the flesh, equals indeed. Aletheis is of truth. That's the definition of truth. Aletheis comes from A-L-A-T-H-A-N-O, which is the word truth. Here's how you eat flesh and drink blood. Alanthano is the word truth. Everything that truth is, is going to be equal to the flesh, equal. Oh, by the way, the word the flesh is te sarx. S A R. And this is an X right here. X. This is not an X down here. That is a CH, a key. This is an X. It's Kazi. X E N I Z O. 
Knedzo. That's a word. Strange. Stranger. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial which is to try you. So. But Jim, what I understand that to mean is that he was going to die so that we might be saved. Yeah. That's exactly. And we're thinking literal eating. Yeah. Well, they were thinking eating literal flesh, and that's against Jewish law to do that. What I'm getting at is what are all these things equal to? You can substitute any of them for anything else. So when we eat flesh and drink blood, we eat and drink of truth. Here's what we do. Alanthano, it comes from the word lanthano. Alethea comes from lanthano. And lanthano means to lie hid or conceal. When you place the first letter of the Greek alphabet in front of a word as a negative particle, in your Strong's it will say from one. One is the alpha in your dictionary, is the alpha. As a negative particle, it negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. It means not to hide anything or conceal anything. That is what eating meat indeed, indeed, that's eating the flesh of Christ. Tau sarx is feminine gender, feminine gender. What does he mean, eat the flesh and drink the blood of the feminine gender? There's two females in the Bible. There's Babylon. the mother of harlots. Harlot means idolatry. It means to serve what you see. And there is Zion or Jerusalem. This is in Revelation 17 and 5. Babylon mothered all idolatry. And Zion or Jerusalem, the mother of us believers, the mother of us all. In Galatians, the fourth chapter. Galatians 4. Jerusalem is our mother. And the mother of the... Babylon is the mother of all idolatry. And she was founded on self. In Genesis 11 and 5. Genesis 11 and 5, Babylon is the mother of harlots. She was founded on Genesis 11, excuse me, Revelation 17 and 5. Revelation 17 and 5. And Genesis 11 and 4, she's founded on let us make us a name. 11 and 4. On pride. Name is the word shem. It means Authority. Let us make up our own authority and we'll have it sounding like Christianity, but it won't be. Jerusalem is our mother. So, the flesh, you have to eat of the flesh. That is the body of the church. The body or church. Or the wife 
or the bride. We have to partake of the body, the church. Let me show you something else that the go over here to John 17. So all these things were equal to each other. John 17 and verse 17. <coughs> John 17 and 17. All right. John 17 and 17. If you will learn these simple axioms, they apply everywhere in everything. The man who invented or discovered algebra found that out. 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy... through thy truth thy word is truth so truth truth is equals to meat indeed that's equal to the feminine flesh or to the body of Christ and that's equal to the bread and that's equal to Jesus all these things are equal to each other you can substitute any one of them for the other one anywhere you find it you can substitute them equals substituted for equals the results are equal if I said sanctify them through thy truth thy word the word of God is the truth so you can put equals this indeed equals the Word of God. All of them are equal to each other. Can you see that? It's really simple. And anywhere you find the feminine flesh of Christ, I didn't want to go there, but I will go to First Corinthians, the 12th chapter. When he said, take, eat, this is my body. Is is a form of the verb to be. How many bodies are there? (laughs) He wasn't saying, eat my literal body. That's the mass of Roman Catholicism. He said over here in Matthew, the 26th chapter, at the last... Passover. It's not the Last Supper. It's the last Passover. They had four items at the Passover. They had a lamb without blemish. We have a Passover lamb in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. We have Jesus is our Passover. Jesus is the Passover. He's the Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Then you had then you had unleavened bread. Now this is going to fit in. They had unleavened bread for seven days. This is the first item, the lamb. The second item was unleavened bread for seven days. And the third item was four cups 
of grape juice. They didn't have leavened. They didn't. It was against the law to have leaven at the Passover. The day of the Passover, that morning, they would go out. They'd look for leaven in their house. They'd get a lamp. It wasn't a candlestick. It says a candlestick. They'd get a candlestick. Candlesticks didn't were invented until about 1600. They had a little bowl. It had a taper on it. They'd get down on their hands and knees, search around the house for the leaven. When they got all the leaven gathered up, they'd go outside the house and burn it. Leaven was a type of sin. They couldn't, they, nobody drinking leavened or uh, drunken elixir at the Passover. There wasn't our, our definition of wine. It's not it. So at four cups, these two things right here, you're going to see is equal, gets in this equal uh, section here. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, then we'll get back on track. 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to go through this slow. I've gone through this real fast, expecting you to pick it up. And I'm slowing down so you can see exactly what I've been saying to you. 1 Corinthians 10 and 16. Believe it or not, let me just go ahead and read 1 Corinthians uh, 5, verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, they had to get rid of the leaven at the Passover, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. That's verse 7. That's the spiritual Passover we're involved in. Then he says over in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing. That was the official title. You'll find that in Alfred Edersheim's I got it up here. I got one at home and I got one up here. It's the temple. It's ministry and services. Uh, No, that's sketches of your social life. Sketches. That's sketches. In the temple, it's ministry and services. Alfred Ersheim, a Jew, born in 1825, died in 18... Uh, 89 converted to Christianity says in his book the temple is ministering services being a Jew he retained a lot of the Jewish culture and customs he said the third cup of the Passover was called their official title was cup of blessing that's the one Jesus took and blessed the cup and said this drink of this cup to drink of a cup meant to undergo a death he's not talking about drinking of a cup of grape juice he said this cup is the new testament in my blood testament diatheke diatheke means last will and 
Testament. And the reason we know what he's saying is because Hebrews, the ninth chapter says, a testament has no validity. It has no power until the death of the testator. The testator was Jesus. So when he hands them a cup and says, this is, is is not the common word is, that is the word esteem. He said this represents, it wasn't the word is, it's esteem means represents. He said, this represents the New Testament in my blood. Let me say this real slow. I haven't had anybody comment to me on it. The Look at the ninth chapter. I'll come right back here. Look at the ninth chapter of Hebrews. I'm trying to get you to see something very slowly. I've gone through this going lickety-split 100 miles an hour, and I know y'all weren't getting it because somebody would have said something to me. Look at the ninth chapter of Hebrews. All right. Look at verse 17. For a testament is of force. It has power after men are dead when Jesus said this cup is the new testament in my blood he's not dead yet when he said that drinking of a cup was a death he asked James and John in Matthew Mark 10 can you drink the cup that I drink of can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with he was not talking about grape juice he wasn't even talking about drinking grape juice is what they had at the last Passover he said are you able to drink this cup and be baptized with this blood baptism. They said, we can. He said, both of you will die the martyr's death. That's what drinking of a cup meant. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it has no strength when Jesus said, he wasn't saying drink this grape juice. He was saying die the death. But you can't drink the cup till I'm dead about 12 or 14 hours from now. That's what he was saying. As soon as I'm dead, drink the cup. And drink all of it. Drink it from now on the rest of your life. It has no strength while the testator is alive. While Jesus is alive, the testament was not effect. You can inherit your parents' house or car or anything or so their money until they're dead Eric could come to me and say well my inheritance well I'm sorry I'm not dead you have to wait till I die whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood he said the testament where this for where testament is verse 16 there must of necessity be the death of the testator that was Jesus They weren't eating crackers and drinking grape juice. They were partaking of the last Passover. It is now spiritual. Back to 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing, which was the third cup of the Passover. This is a spiritual cup. It's death to self. 
That's what drinking of a cup is. You can look and look up cup in McClinic and Strong, and the Bible will, and they'll talk about the cup of consolation, the cup of salvation. They said drinking of a cup was drinking of an ordeal. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Oh, the bread is the body. Look over here in Ephesians 4. Look at Ephesians 4. (coughs) How many bodies are there? Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called with one hope of your calling. Look at Colossians in the first chapter. What is the body of Christ? Colossians 1, 18. He is the head of the body, the church. The body equals the church, doesn't it? So when he says, take, eat, this is my body, body equals church. Was he saying, eat of the church? Absolutely. But I thought eating was something you put in your mouth. No, it wasn't. Not every time. Look down here in verse 24 of Colossians, the first chapter. Where am I? Colossians. All right. Who now rejoice in my sufferings and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church there's one body the body equals the church body equals church body and church are the same thing aren't they look back over here in first corinthians 10:17 for we being one being many are one bread and one body, the church. Right? The body equals the church. Take, eat, this is my body. How do you eat of the body? For we are all partakers of that one bread, which is Jesus, which is the bread, which is the flesh, which is the meat. Indeed, it is... You think that's not algebra? Simple algebra. Jesus is the bread, that's the bread flesh, that's the indeed, that's truth, that's the word of God. They're all equal. You think algebra doesn't work in the Bible? Absolutely does. So he says... In verse 17, we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, which is Jesus, which is the flesh, the feminine flesh, which is the church, which is the body of Christ. There's a verse I really want to put in here. It's always messed up and twisted and perverted. Go back to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. I loved algebra when I was in school, but I caught on to it. 
if x equals to y, then I could substitute y anywhere I find x. Couldn't I? Yeah. That's like if 100 pounds of tomatoes equals 100 pounds of apples, uh, I can substitute the weight for it because it's the same thing. If I'm just looking for something that weighs the same. All right. Where did I say we was going? First John 4. 1 John 4. Remember, except you eat my flesh, the flesh, it actually says, except you eat the flesh, the feminine flesh of me. The feminine flesh is the body of the church. They're equal, aren't they? Okay, look over here in 1 John 4. I love this. It really says some things straight. Believe, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. We're going to find out that the flesh equals the body, and that equals the comforter. The Bible says the truth is the comforter. The truth equals the comforter. And that's the Holy Spirit. So the comforter equals the truth. That equals the word. That equals indeed that equals the flesh, that equals the bread, that equals Jesus, the manna come down from heaven. They're all equal. They're the same. Do y'all see that? Is that about as simple as you can get? You see, I didn't like algebra because you had a terrible teacher. If you'd have got simple with a seesaw on a playground, you might have understood it. Now, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Now, this next verse is very confusing if you don't know a gender on one of the words. Here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Does that mean anybody that says Jesus came in a literal fleshly body, they belong to God? Well, the Islams believe Jesus came in a body. The Buddhists believe he came in a literal physical body. Does that make them believers? No, that's what this sounds like. That's why you can't translate Greek properly into English. You see the flesh, feminine gender it's feminine tay sarks tay sarks the feminine flesh everyone that confesses that Jesus but first of all you have to know what confess means homo l-o-g-e-o you mean just to say with the mouth it's more than that Homo means of the same. We get the word homosexual from that, of the same sex. This is of the same logos. 
Logos is the word word. It means to be of the same word or to agree with. You mean honoring Jesus with your mouth is enough? These people honor me with their mouth, but they're but they're far from me in their deeds. That's not enough. Confession is really laid out in one verse. Titus one sixteen. Look at Titus one sixteen. Titus comes right after Second Timothy. This is the truth about about confession. Speaking of people that are defiled and unbelieving, they profess that they know God. That word profess is the same exact word as confess. Why the translators put profess, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to say they're saying it with their mouth. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. What you do, what you do confesses Christ. You mean works has something to do with it? Absolutely it does. You have to become a new creation that desires truth, and God changes your heart. If you didn't be in Christ, He is a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things become new. Well, I didn't know we had to work. Well, do you have to obey God? Obey. Obey. Obey and hear are the same words in the Hebrew. They're the basic same word in the Greek. Anytime the Bible says, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. That's an imperative command. Here is the word A-K-O-U-O. Obey is hoop. A-K-O-U-O. Hoopo is the word under. Under, it means to hear under or be subordinate. Does anybody have a boss on your job? Do you have to do what the boss says? You are subordinate. Do we have to do what Jesus says? I love the verse, Ephesians 2.10. All preachers quote 2.8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. But my father and all of his friends would say, not of works has nothing to do with it. You can cuss if you want to. You can get mad and take a hammer after somebody if you want to. We as Baptist preachers do that. I've seen my father do that. Take a ball bat after people or say, I'm a Baptist preacher. You're not going to do that to me. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and do good works. Good is the word agathos. There are 27 ways to spell agathos in the Greek language. There, it's unbelievable. Can you translate that correctly? Well, no, you can't. Not into not into our language. Let me erase this. Agathos. Agathos. It means beneficial. We're created in Christ Jesus unto beneficial. 
works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in these beneficial works. Huh? F I C I L F I F I F I C I L. I get to talking too fast. Beneficial. You have you have singular, plural, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, and the singular. Masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, and the plural. Nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative cases. That's 24 ways to spell agathos. And then in the singular, sometimes you have a vocative case. Only in the singular, that's a direct address. You got 27 ways to spell agathos. And God has preordained that we would that we would walk in these ways. God hath before ordained proetoiamazo fitted us up in advance to do beneficial works. Pro E T O I M A Z O. Proetoiamazo means before Hetoimos, fit us up beforehand, that we should walk in good works. You've got, I keep saying this, you've got rituals which we're not saved in. We have, do we have to work? Faith worketh by love, by agape. Agape is walking in the commandments of God, Second John 6. Do we have to do that? Absolutely we do. When he says, humble yourself under the hand of God, what is God's hand? David said in Psalm 17, it was evil men, deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword and thy hand. Wicked men are the hand of God that crush us. And God says, when I use them to crush you, you humble to me under their hand. Boy, I didn't want to do that for years. I wanted to fight them. That's the wrong thing to do. Then he destroys evil men. Huh? Then he'll destroy the evil men. That's right. So when he says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. That's what men are when they don't want to walk in the commandments of God. They're reprobate, A. There's that alpha privative again, A-D-O-K-I-M-A-S. Adokimas comes from dokime, D-O-K-I-M-E, which means to test or put into a fire. The alpha privative negates the word. It means no fire. We don't like fire. We don't like the trials. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. The fire is a daily requirement that causes us to walk in the good works of God. You've got ritual. You've got good deeds. And that has nothing to do with salvation. But God's righteous agathos works, he's ordained that preordained that we should walk in them. You can't live the way you want to. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. It takes a long time for believers to learn that. Did you know that? God has to whip you and 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 whip you. Till one day you say, Uncle, I give up. That's what you'll do. I did that. 
I kept trying to have my way for year after year after year, trying to be rich and famous and be somebody. And God stuck me in the hospital and it killed me. And I said, Lord, you're going to kill me if I don't stop this. Has anybody ever done that besides me? Everybody's done that besides me. <laughs> A lot of people have been famous to some degree. But he brings us down off of our high horse. Now, let's go back over here. Where were we? All right. We we covered John there. Now, I'm talking about things that are equal to the same thing. All these things are equal up here. We're leaving Titus? Huh? We're leaving Titus? Yeah, I said to every work they're reprobate. They don't want no fire. Man that don't want to do the works of God. It is God that worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. When you do the works of God, you're doing what's right. You're being honest. You're walking right. But you got to remember, we got two men in us. Remember the two men? Everybody's got these two men in them. Those of us that are born again, we've got the inner man, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. you got the outer man, which serves the law of the flesh. Paul tells you all about that in Romans, the seventh chapter. i got an inner man, an outer man. And he said, how to perform that which is good, I find not. That word performance, the word katergazomai, and it means to fully accomplish. Paul said, I don't know how to do that. And yet he turned around and told the Philippians, Philippians 2.13. He said, it is God that works in you to will and do of his good pleasure. When he said, work out your own salvation to the Philippians, work out is the word katergazomai. And he said, I can't do that. But he turned around and said, it's God working in you. And you will change and you will do right and you will live right. Oh, it may take him 30 or 40 years to beat you up enough to convince you of it. He had to convince me. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to give up my voice and my singing and my sales ability and all that real estate I was going to buy and get rich and God says you're not going to do that I'll just make you sick so he made me sick year after year after year ended up in the hospital I thought I was dying that's when I threw my hands in the air in my mid 40s and said I surrender I give up <laughs> if you have never given up that's something to look forward to that's when your life turns around and you begin to do things right. Paul will tell you all about this man in Romans 7. said there's a fight between this inner man, which is Christ, and the outer man. And guess who's going to win? He's going to win. And this man, he will teach this man to die out here daily. If any man will come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I love that. I heard John MacArthur talking about the the third chapter of Philippians today, and John didn't get it. He didn't want to believe that the people at Philippi 
were in the church. He wanted to believe it was somebody outside the church coming in, trying to twist their minds. I believe it was the men in the church that were not living right. Look at that over here. I'll just show you this. He was trying to make the excuse over in Philippians, the fourth chapter. He was trying to say it was some men coming in the church living wrong and they were unbelievers. It's not what he was talking about at all. When you look at it, you can see it. And he brought up this in Philippians 3. He brings out... uh, He says down here in verse 18, For many walk, O whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, He's not weeping over vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He was trying to say he's weeping over people coming into the church. Either people are trying to live by their rituals. That's not what he's talking. He's talking to the people in the church. He's weeping. He, Paul is the one that tells us about vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He's the guy that tells all about God loving Jacob and hating Esau. He had no time for the people that were fitted for destruction. He's weeping over the church. But here's why he says that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He, John talked like they were enemies of the wooden cross. They are enemies of the daily cross, and the next verse tells you why. Because they don't want a death to self. They don't want to die daily. There's people that have come here that don't like the daily cross. Is anybody having a hard time with that? Yeah. Thank you, children. I appreciate that. Boy, it's a hard thing to die daily, isn't it? It's hard to to say, I know I've, I've been selfish and living in myself. He tells you why. John was trying to say, the, I keep saying this. The wooden cross of Christ is basically the daily cross because what was the wooden cross for? It was for the death of God's elect family. Nobody else. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He hung on his wooden cross for his predestinated elect. He didn't hang on his cross for a bunch of Roman Catholics that believe you have to eat Jesus to go to heaven. Here's why they hung on the cross. And John just messed this up. Whose end is destruction, verse 19, whose God is their belly. Now, he did say that the belly was the place of all sensual desires. But there was an attitude in this church. The belly was a, was a sto- was an Epicurean term. Epicureans were one of the most popular philosophies of the day in the world at that time. They said the only thing a man needed to fulfill all of his spiritual desires was his belly. That wasn't the stomach. They said the belly was the place of everything a man sensually wanted, whether it was camels or boats on the lake or whether it was crops or whether it was sex or whatever it was, his belly fulfilled it all. And then he says, whose glory is in their shame, they're glorying in the things they should be ashamed of, who mind earthly 
things. This is the problem with the church today when it's fallen away. Their mind, their phroneo. He's saying there are members in the church there whose sentiment is on earthly. The word earthly is G-E. It's pronounced gay. It means dirt or soil. The people at Philippi, there were people in the church, they didn't like this dying daily thing. They didn't like the daily cross. That verse is talking about they didn't want to crucify self. It's not talking about people coming into the church. It's talking about the members there. There were some there that they liked dirt. Everything you see is dirt. Everything. I don't care what it is. If it's if it's in the air and it all settles, it goes back to dirt. If it's a car, it came out of the ground, it's dirt. If it's your new home, that's dirt. It's all dirt. If it's somebody's diamond ring, that ain't nothing but coal under pressure. It's all dirt. Their mind is on stuff in the church. That's what he was saying. There's some men in the church, all they think about is what they've got. It's material things. The older I get, the less I care about anything. I just, at 80 years old, I don't seem to care about cars or houses or stuff anymore. I just don't care about it. Everywhere I go during the day, I wear T-shirts. There's something printed on them. I only wear these to show up, show up against this board. I don't even wear these. Why should I wear these when I can have God does not love everybody on a T-shirt? And I wear them during the winter time in case I get to take, and I wear a, uh, just a cotton long sleeve shirt over when it's cool with my with my overcoat. But I always want something that when I take off my shirt, it will say, predestination's true. If you don't believe that, you're antichrist. That's what the Bible says. He that denieth Christ, deny arneomai, or aparneomai, means to, it's the exact opposite of confess. It means to contradict. If you contradict the word of God, you said you don't believe in predestination, you are Antichrist. I didn't say you were the Antichrist. Antichrist is only mentioned first and second John. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And if you deny Christ by what you do, he that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. Is that doing? Most Baptists I was raised around works has nothing to do with anything if God makes you a new creation he's going to put the desire in you to change but you won't do that all of a sudden because you got that outer man when you're young or you might jump up and say I'm, I'm a new person now and I'm going to go out here and conquer the world and then you'll die and kind of calm down after a while and go I know what I do now since I didn't conquer the world that's the way we start off as young when Christ is first birth in us, it's a war to get rid of that outer man. It's a battle. It's a lifetime battle. Have any of y'all discovered that yet? 
If you haven't and you belong to God, you will discover it. Now, where was I? So, I'm going to give you some more of these things equal to the same thing. Let me give you what the Holy Spirit is. Go back over here to John. How much time do I have, Mike? 25. All right. Maybe I can get some more of these things equal here. John 14. You got to keep remembering all these things that are these are equal to. Jesus is the bread. That was the manna. That was the flesh, the feminine flesh, which is the body of the church. And that confesses or agrees with God in the body by doing the will of God. Every time you have an imperative mood in the Greek, it's a command. Do we have to keep the commandments of God? Second John 6 says, this is agape, that we walk after his commandments. Every imperative command will happen in every believer's life somewhere, sometime. You may not be walking as you should, but you'll get to a place God will beat on you till you do. He beat me within an inch of my life. He took a shillelagh after me, whatever that is, and beat my brains out. Shillelagh, that's some kind of Irish stick they used to whip people with. He just beat me half to death until I said, I surrender, I give up. I never did want to take blame for my own sin. I wanted to blame somebody else. I wanted to blame the real estate brokers because I was in that and I was hot shot in it. I wanted to blame the music promoters. I wanted to blame the stars of the old gospel music world because they had stopped me from doing a lot of things I wanted to do. I was always opening my mouth and saying things about them. I didn't like you guys back then. I still don't like you. I'm not supposed to like them. They get up and pretend to love God and cry, and then they go out and chase women and drink and cuss. Why should I like you? I'm not supposed to. Jesus said, you are my friends. I will like you if you keep my commandments. When you don't keep the commandments of God, you're not a friend of Jesus and you're not a friend of mine. Live like the devil and claim Jesus on the stage. Don't like you guys. That's just... And boy, they resented me for that because I stood up on the stage and said things about them. <laughs> it's funny now. I think it's, it's laughable. All right, now, let's get back to these shadows and very images. Look at John 15. Well, 14, excuse me, John 14. All right, John 14, and look here in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Goodness gracious. Does keep mean to do all the commandments of God? No, it doesn't mean that. The commandments were written in your heart. by, And who wrote them there? Did you write them there? We wouldn't write his commandments in our hearts. 
He's written his commandments in our hearts there in the third chapter of Second Corinthians and several other places as well. But he said, if you love me, if you agape me, agape, Second John 6, is walking after the commandments of God. This is agape, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Are God's commandments only the Ten Commandments over here in the Old Testament? No. That's not all there is to it. They had 613 laws that they said they had to walk by. Every time you have an imperative mood in the Greek, and Jesus is saying it, if the words come from Jesus or the inspired word of God, it is a commandment. Just as much as when he said, let there be light. Did the light say, will somebody give me an invitation hymn and sing just as I am about 15 verses and see if I want to walk down the aisle? No, there was light. That was a commandment of Jesus. He was before all things and by him all things consist. They're held together. In the beginning was the Word, the Word with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that was Jesus in the beginning that said, let it be, and it is. If he says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear, that's an imperative command. You will hear, and you will obey. That means to hear under. Here in the Old Testament is the word shama. And the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made it in both of them. That's also the word obey in the Old Testament. Obey and hear and hearken are all the same word in the Old Testament. Are you going to have to hear and obey his word? Absolutely. If you belong to God, I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm telling you what God said you have to do. If I had to do it, why don't you have to do it? If God had to beat me, put me on my face in the hospital till I, I had been in and out of the hospital so many times, I was wore out riding back and forth. In the middle of the night saying, Mary, hurry up, hurry up, drive fast, drive fast. I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I, I, I was just dying. I thought I was going to die. And that was a dozen times. Mary had taken me to the hospital. Mike had taken me to the hospital. I'd jump up in the middle of the night, run up down the hallways. I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Somebody get me to the hospital, quick. And they'd drive fast. And I'd say, slow down, but hurry up. <laughs> it was really, let me tell you, the most terrifying thing in the world is not a heart attack and heart surgery. It's not being able to breathe. <laughs> there ain't nothing that scary. I felt like I was on the bottom of a 100-foot swimming pool and someone gave me a straw that was as thin as a hair and said, now breathe out of that. It's, it's terrifying. People die in Middle Tennessee every year with it. Do I look like I'm struggling with that now? I was under such stress, I was just trying to conquer the world. Boy, when that inner man takes over life gets calm 
I'm sure thankful that he knows more about me than I know about me. Now you're a pooty, that's why. Huh? Now you're a pooty. Now I'm a what? A pooty. A pooty, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so where was I? Faith. Everywhere you find an imperative mood. When he says forbear, he's not asking you to forbear or put up with one another. He's commanding it. That means to... It means to put up with. Put up. It's the word anecho. Anecho. It means to hold up or put up with. Forbear one another. He's not asking you to. You say, well, I don't like putting up with somebody unless they're easy to put up with. No, that's not the point. When somebody's not easy to put up with, you're supposed to put up with them anyway. When he says, humble under the hand of God, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O, tapainua means to level self. But that's not an invitation. That's an imperative command. You say, I hadn't been able to do that yet. If you belong to God, you will. I keep saying this. You can't be humble to man and humble to God at the same time. If you're humble to man, you are, you are prosopoteo. You are respecting persons. To be humble to God, you've got to be willing to say to these people, I don't mean in a cutting, abrasive way, but say, you've got to repent of sin. You've got to be able to tell them Christmas is Christ's Mass, it's paganism. You've got to be able to say, predestination is true and God does not love everybody. The Bible says so. Well, I don't believe in predestination. Well, then you're Antichrist. I'll tell, I'll, tell, I'll tell people in that tone of voice, real gentle, I say, well, then you're Antichrist. You have to believe it. It's, I told a lady one day, I said, I believe in predestination. She said, I don't. I don't believe in that. I said, you have to. You call yourself a Christian. It's in the Bible. And she looked at me like, she didn't know that. So I quoted Romans eight twenty nine for whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. She said, let's agree to disagree. I said, I'm not going to agree with you. You don't know nothing about the Bible. I said, that's compromise if I agree to disagree with you. I'm not going to compromise with you. You don't know anything. Anyway, now, where are we? So, you've got, you've got to humble. You've got to agonize over sin. That's also an imba- So, when walking in the commandments of God is walking in truth, so that would put... The Holy Spirit is truth, and that would put obedience is to truth, to the Word of God, which is indeed, which is the flesh, which is the bread, which is Jesus. They're all the same. Can you all see that? That's the first week of algebra in 1953. I learned these, 1953. It's not something I forgot. It's just a concept in life. All right. Now, where was that? Okay. 14. If you love me, 
keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Comforter is the word parakletos. P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S. Parakletos. It's a form of P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O. Parakaleo. Para means near. Kaleo means to call. means to call near. It's the word comfort. The comforter will tell you it is here. It's one of these equals. Even the spirit of truth. Oh, so the comforter equals the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized the Holy Spirit, you're baptized with truth. He that hath not the Spirit of God is none of his. You can't, there's not a second, there's not a second work of grace. That's called a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's truth. You're baptized with truth. Let me show you a verse that these charismatics use over here in Acts, the 19th chapter. Acts 19. <clears throat> Look here. And that, this is where the charismatics, they just twisted it the best, the only way they know how. And it came to pass that in verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Since you believed means, well, that's an action since they believed. So this is something that comes after they believed. It doesn't say that in the Greek text. It says in the Greek text, Believing did you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. See, this half of the translators were Roman Catholic, and half of them were, believe it or not, Calvinist of the translators. They had a knockdown drag out for six and a half to seven years in the translating room, compromising right and left. So it says, Receiving, did you receive? Receiving, have you believing? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, We haven't even heard that there's any such thing as the Holy Ghost. Not going to go into that any further. Now, I, how much time to have, Mike? Ten. Ten. I'm not going to be able to get far on this. Go over here to. Well, I'm not finished with this. So the Spirit is the truth, right? And everything the tr- truth is, or the truth equals the Holy Spirit. The truth is indeed. The truth is the flesh. Eat my flesh, you eat indeed. And the flesh is feminine, it's the church, it's the body of Christ, which is the church. It's eating of the church, isn't it? Let me go somewhere from here. First Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Here's how you eat of the body. 1 Corinthians 12. 
I'll probably come back next week and finish this part of it. 1 Corinthians 12. This cannot mean a literal water baptism. Baptized come from baptizo, meaning to cover. And the movement is on the part of the fluid, not the person. And it means to cover with a stain or dye. That's what baptized means. Originally, it was an infinitive, a verbal noun. Don't have time to go through that. By one spirit are we all baptized into the one body, which is the church, right? What verse? Verse 13. For we by one spirit, which is the truth, right? Right? By one spirit, we are all baptized into what is the one body? The church, the wife, the bride. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been made all to drink unto one spirit, one truth. By the way, Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. She said, you don't even have anything to draw with. He said, I'm talking about living water, which is the Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So he tells us how we partake in the body, which is the church. It's not, we all don't have the same job. For the foot shall, if the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, and am I not of the body? Because I am not the piano player, and I sweep out the church, are you not of the body? Because I'm not the preacher, I'm only the piano player, are you not of the body? The body, and this is talking, using a literal body, equating it with the church. That's what he's doing. If the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, I'm not of the body. The way we partake, we eat of the body. To eat doesn't mean necessarily to put in the mouth and chew. Jesus told the apostles that left him and the woman at the well of of Samaria. They went into town. They brought him something back to eat. And they said, have you eaten anything? And he said to them, I have a meat to eat of. It's not something I put in my mouth. He said, my meat is to do. Meat is equals doing the will of the Father. That's my meat. That's what he said in John, the fourth chapter. Meat equals doing. Doing the will of the Father is truth. Isn't that right? So you can put that in this line of equals up here. Can you see that? It equals doing. So he says here, where was I? I was somewhere. Huh? Twelve. Okay. Then he says, if the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? Everybody can't have the same job in the church. I've had young preachers come here say, well, it's time for me to preach. Well, not here. It's not. You're, we already got a preacher here. If the whole were hearing, where's the smelling? 
you got to have the nose for the smelling. You got to have the appendix to gather, to gather poison out of the body. You've got to have, you've got to have all these things, the parts of the body. They all. I keep saying the toenail is very important. If you didn't have the toenail, you'd go around kicking things and getting stone bruises all day long. You wouldn't be able to walk. The toenails and the fingernails absorb the bruises. You got to have the appendix. You actually have to have the tonsils. They also gather poison. And he says, I love verse 18. But it hath how, but now hath God set the members of every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. He's got everybody where he wants them to be. And he says down here, he says we need to give more honor to the uncomely parts. It means the parts that don't fit well. We don't give need to give glory to the people who have a lot of talent, very glib, they're good looking. We need to find the people that are downtrodden and give them attention. Then he says down here in verse 27, here's how you eat of the body. Now you are of the body of Christ and members in particular in verse 27. The word particular is the word meros. It means a portion to eat of. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, take, eat, this is my body. You eat not by putting something in your mouth, but by doing. That's what he said over in Matthew. said the same thing in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. We're not talking about works for salvation. We're talking about salvation that works. We're talking about faith worketh by love. In Galatians 6, 5 and 6. In Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? He's giving you meat. But what he, watch what he says you're going to do with the meat. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing the meat. He'll find you doing it. That's truth. So you can put doing in this line of equals. Doing. And you can substitute any one of these things for anything else. You can substitute the flesh for the bread, the meat, if equals are substituted for equals, the results are equal. That's an algebraic equation. They're all equal. If you if you learn that, and I'm not through with this lesson. This is the second part. We did the first part last week of biblical algebra. I'm showing you how simple it is to understand. If you got something biblical to appoint it to. Am I out of time, Mike? One minute. One minute. I want to keep talking about this, but I don't really have time. Um, 
I'll come back next week. We're going to talk about biblical biology, biblical algebra, part three next week. I've got some more things that are equal. Every, all these are equal to each other. They're the same thing. Is that? If it's not clear, somebody tell me. Can you see this, Victor? I got lost a little bit. You got lost. I got, a little bit. I got one thing is equal to the other thing. That's what the Bible keeps saying over and over and over. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for truth. Show us your word and how we can get a hold of it. This is the best way to study the word of God is to look at these things that are equal. If we think they're different things, Lord, that's nothing but confusion. Thank you for your word and for truth. Cause us to continue this. Lead us to elect. Fight our battles for us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for the five-course meal there. Five-course meal. How you doing? Oh, hanging in there. What's going on? Just hanging on, hanging in there. Just teaching a few classes here and there. I I didn't hear you. I can't hear you. Just teaching a few classes here and there. Oh, okay. Take care. Take care, Rusty. Say you guys have a have a safe trip home. I'm gonna run on. I got to make a phone call. You got to make what? Make a phone call. My mom was having some stuff at the hospital. Is she? Yes, I'm on. It's good to see you here. I hope you're getting a hold a lot of this. It's not it's got a hold of me. It's not like preachers. I don't like preachers. They I don't follow you. I, 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 I listen. To you. I listen to you while I work. You're on my phone. Really? In my ear. 